0: There's two definitions of philanthropy. So there's the, the generous donation of money to good causes, which I think is what people easily look to, right? So a definition yeah, like that. Yeah. But there's also this definition, love of humanity, hmm. which is like my favorite definition of philanthropy. The combination of the, those two aspects of philanthropy are grounded in the story of the organization and cause with the donor.
1: Welcome to Profile Central Wisconsin, a podcast about the origins of the organizations that make our community thrive. I'm Benjamin Nuss, your host and the campus dean of Mid-State Technical College's Stevens Point Campus, and I'll be joined by co-host Michael Witte, executive director of the Portage County Business Council. On this episode of Profile, Michael and I visit with Jenny Riggenbach, CEO of the Community Foundation of Central Wisconsin. Jenny spent most of her youth right here in Central Wisconsin but left for college to earn a degree in community education and engagement. While such studies may seem commonplace now, this was a novel field of study. But what she learned about this new approach to civic engagement and enriching communities through action shaped her and has allowed her to share this influence with all of us. Since then, she worked for numerous community organizations in Milwaukee and central Wisconsin, landing her recently in a position to lead the community foundation. Jenny shares the rich history of her own experience, in addition to providing some insights into the history of the Community Foundation, which is now celebrating its 40th year. This organization provides the avenue for maximizing the effectiveness of philanthropy and connecting donors to the community. To tell her story and the story of the Community Foundation of Central Wisconsin, here's Jenny.
0: So I was born in Chicago, Illinois, and my parents moved us from Oak Park, um, which is a western suburb, to the southeast corner of Portage County when I was a kid. Um, So I grew up between Blaine and Heffron, around the corner from Fountain Lake, just on the border of Washera. in Portage County.
1: That's right where yeah. I live. <laughs> I know. <laughs> we, would have been, we would have been neighbors.
0: Um, I, um, we, My brothers and I and my sister eventually, we went to Elmond Bancroft. So when I was a sophomore, my youngest brother was born and we had official outgrown our house. And um, my parents, all eight of us, there were eight of us kids at the time, um, we moved into the town of Elmond. And so my parents live to this day, in the house that they bought back in 1986, it was built in 1877, um, one of the oldest houses in the village, um, and they have gone on to restore that over the years. For those that might be familiar, it was um, the George and Jerry Croll House, um, so it's right down the street from the school.
1: Did you did you did you like growing up there?
0: You know, I learned a lot from growing up there. I would tell you that um, about 10 years ago, I had a a boss and a a mentor, a longtime mentor of mine, give me maybe one of the greatest compliments I have ever received. And we were in a conversation about why he had hired me. And he told me that it was for three reasons. One was that I always came with a great appreciation for the history and people that got us to where we are. And the second one was, I could always see what was possible. Mm-hmm. But most important, he told me, it was because I could walk down any street, look people in the eye, and hear their story. Even the roughest streets of Milwaukee, where we were, where our organization was. When I think about that, I still think about it all these uh-huh. years later, because so much of that compliment is rooted in being Jim and Ellen Riggenbach's daughter uh-huh. and having grown up in Elmond. I was surrounded by that community of people, and, and I learned so much along my life from, and I didn't even realize, right, growing up until I came
1: back. Were, were your parents heavily involved in the community in some way or another?
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so my mom and her friends actually started the um, the parent teacher organization. It's called Pi um, uh-huh. in 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 Elmond, and it still exists to this day. Um, I've talked to people that are involved. It's like, oh wow, yeah, my mom started that.
1: So your mom was was big into w- w- whatever else calls PTA.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and then um, both of them ran for school board. My oh. mom lost. My dad won. Um, they ran at
1: the same time. No.
0: Not same, like, not against they- each other. <laughs> <laughs> But they both, at different points, ran for school board. Um, my dad just finished his last term on the village board. Wow. Um, and so, you know, very civically active. I mean, my my dad, he worked at Ruth, the Ruth Gilfrey Building. He was a child welfare social worker um, many, many years ago when he first got started. worked in general assistance and, you know, has worked in lots of different avenues of social welfare in Portage County. And my mom, many people know as Library Ellen. She um, was a library aide in the children's room at the Stevens Point Library and did all the story hours and, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and got her start in the library by working at the Almond ba- Branch of the Portage County Library. So, yeah, they're both just very civically active, and, um, and that is all, also just something that I think is ingrained in all of us.
2: Uh-huh. You make the move from Oak Park mm-hmm. to Almond area. What was that like for you?
0: You know, it was it was not an easy transition, um, and I'll I'll be honest, Mike. When we put my my our own sons through transitions like that, I often thought about that, like, oh my gosh, here I'm going to do what I always said I wouldn't do. But I also learned so much from the you know ha- you know just that move itself was so instrumental to my life. And I was a really shy kid, so I was very quiet, very shy, and observed a lot around me. Um, And it was a very, it was very different, um, very different culture. And all my cousins were still back in Chicago. My parents actually moved us here um, to kind of form a small community with their college friends. So we moved up with, with their college friends, um, Rick Simmons and Colleen Andrews. Um, and Rick and Colleen built a house on the property and we lived down the, the road from the fairs who they had also gone to college with. And, you know, for many years, like, you know, we just shared in gardening and, you know, we had some cows together that I think we named Luke Skywalker and <laughs> Han Solo. And <laughs> I always my mom loves it when I tell her that I think it was my 10th birthday. They butchered chickens on my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> so my, my sons love that story. <laughs> so it was, you know, it was a very, very much, a, a cultured change for our whole family, but one that I don't think enough of us in this country get to experience. Um, and that's how you learn about people and learn about what makes us all the same and, and how we're different.
1: So like a lot of boomerang adults, you you left central wisconsin to go study and and to work tell us about that first uh, leap away from this community
0: sure so my first leap was when i graduated and of course i was going to go somewhere big and i wasn't going to come back uw milwaukee sure and so and i was only 17 cuz i was one of the youngest kids in my class and so i was 17 went to milwaukee and after 3 semesters i i was home and was very embarrassed and very much felt like a failure that I had failed at college. Um,
1: What was the biggest challenge there?
0: I think the size Uh was large. It was a very different school than it is today. Um, it was very much a commuter school, mm-hmm. so the smallest portion of the twenty five thousand students like lived on campus. Yeah. It wasn't; it didn't have the culture it does today sure. that I look at now, and it's like, wow, they really figured it out. Um, and so it, I didn't have that; I didn't have a community mm-hmm. there. You know, I had my aunt and uncle who lived not too far, but I didn't. I didn't have my own community. I didn't go with anybody. Um, so I think those things were hard. Yeah. But I would also say when I came back. When I look back on that time now, I was likely also a little depressed, hmm. and I didn't even—I didn't have language around that, right? Um, and so, when I think about what kind of pulled me out of that, it was work. And so, this was like in January. I came home feeling like I had failed. Well, two likes opened in April, and I went back to work because I worked there in the summer, the last summer, and then from the then for the next like year and a half, I like pieced together about five part-time and seasonal jobs.
1: So Two Lakes is the Supper Club.
0: Two Lakes <laughs> Supper Club, yep. You had to ask? I, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I didn't have to ask for our listeners. For uh, your, oh, right, uh, okay. About this this I think, I
0: think what are we, in the 73rd year this season, if I'm remembering yeah. right? Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, one of our first podcasts was uh, with Portesi. And, oh, sure. And which has its own origins going from Chicago to the Two Lakes like Supper Club. So,
0: as the Jagalos do themselves. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. So, so you come back and, and you start to just piece together a number of jobs. Um, what, quick question what did you study when you were at? Uh, you'd have been Milwaukee.
0: So I didn't have a major at that point. Oh, yeah. So what ended up happening is over that year and a half, you know, I was trying to figure out where to, where where to go next and wasn't sure that because you know back then, you know, I, I am old now, right? But <laughs> back then, you know, you either went to school or you flunked out. You didn't like go back. Yeah. What you know, that's yeah. just not. I didn't have any models for that. Yeah. And I can remember um, Andy Anderson, who was the president of the Portage County Bank. Um, was watching me come in every week, making deposits into my savings account. And one day he called me into his office and just started asking me like what my plans were and like really instilled in me like this, you know, he was proud of me and watching this and he saw that I had potential to go do something, Mm -hmm. right? And and so what was that? And I think that was the first time I had someone who wasn't related to me notice me Hmm. And was curious about what might be next for me, and uh, that was that was a turning point for me. And I was already thinking about you know going back to Milwaukee or going to UWSP or maybe Mid State. I think I was taking some typing classes sure. at the time sure. <laughs> at Mid State in the old what's now the Boys and Girls Club, yeah. right? Yeah. Um. And uh, and I went back to UW Milwaukee. Hmm. And um, so I moved back to Milwaukee, um, and got a job in childcare. And um, again, work has always been really important to me. It's it's where I f- found my confidence. Mm-hmm. And working in childcare, I worked my way up in the, in the childcare center. It was a nationally accredited center, and then at the same time, found a program at UWM that really changed what I see in the world. And that was um, the program I graduated with a degree in community education and engagement. And it was modeled, it's a program that's modeled after the Highlander Folk School in Tennessee. That is where Martin Luther King studied and Rosa Parks studied. It was really a degree around community organizing before, you know, community organizing was exciting. (laughs) Before (laughs) This was before Obama, before any of that. And, And it was really aimed at African-American women primarily who, you know, were trying to get a degree, working on a degree, organizing in their communities, trying to make their communities better. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes we think about organizing as something that, you know, is either positive or negative. And what I learned through that program, it's like, it's all about how we all have agency to make our communities better. And, um, and that's what I've always, that's how I think about organizing, Mm -hmm. Mm because that's what I, how I was trained to think about it. I was one of very, very few white people in the program, and for whatever reason, really just gravitated to it, I learned very quickly no one wanted my help. <laughs> and I learned how to kind of get my opinions cut off at the knees. And I learned how to hear and listen to um, people who I might have had assumptions about their lives based on what I'd read or what I, and learned to really, again, like check myself. And not make things about me. And, and I don't know to this day what really kept me with that because it was not easy. Um, but I did. I stuck with it. And, um, and the skills I learned from that program and the community that I got to work with and, and the people, right? Like It really helped me understand and also think about then another idea that was exposed to us in, in that education, which was philanthropy and the power of money in making communities better.
1: So I imagine that listening must have been really important because your classmates must have had very different struggles than someone who grew up in Almond. So what did you learn just by listening there?
0: Ben, honestly, I learned that a lot of our struggles are the same. Hmm. When you're growing up in a community that – isn't predominantly doesn't have a lot of wealth to it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, that's Elmond, Right. We ha- you know, you've got this beautiful spectrum of community where you have people with means to people with without means and how we all contribute to make that community work and grow and thrive. And that's not that different than what is happening in many inner city communities, right? You've got often a spectrum, a smaller spectrum than, you know, a lot of my instructors who would tell me that the spectrum of, you know, wealth um, in in the inner city had dissipated over the years. But there's still a lot of even professors I had were living in the, you know, living in those communities um, and influence in how we all have ability and agency to both influence, but also invest in making our our communities better.
1: What does does this degree in community engagement lead you to in terms of employment?
0: Sure. So when I first graduated, I spent about a year, year and a half working with youth aging out of foster care in Milwaukee County. Um, And that was really amazing. What amazing young people (laughs) we have in our world. And this is there's you know so many amazing resilient people young people but this was at a time before what we have now in place where you know when when you turned 18 you either had to be self-sufficient or you had to have a foster parent or another another person in your life care for you. There there weren't this, the kind of bridge programs there are today for kids aging out of foster care. So, you know, working with young people and um, helping them navigate employment and figuring out how they were going to be self-sufficient, um, finding people who would rent to them, give them a chance in a job, or helping them you know, stretch into higher ed, whether it was through the tech college or another way or job core, but they had to do it themselves. So I also learned how to walk beside people because it's so easy to just, well, let me just do that for you. Right. That, that wasn't what we did. We had to walk beside them as many times as it took to go down to the courthouse to get that, you know, birth certificate or whatever piece of paper we needed to figure out how to get. Um, or how many times you know they had to make the calls on their own and we had to work on that. Yeah, it was wonderful. I, I learned a ton. Luckily for kids aging out of foster care, I, I was sort of the last of that vestige. And then they changed the program mm-hmm. and began to really think about um, some bridge opportunities. So then when that program ended, I was fascinated with work and fascinated with what work had done for me, but also what... Needs you know the opportunity it can be for other people, um, and so I I was offered a position with Linda Stewart who had been Tommy Thompson's secretary of workforce development had started the center for workforce development at UWM when she left his administration and um, I became her staff person mm. so um, that was amazing I learned. All the ins and outs of workforce and economic development before we were talking broadly about it. Um, and that's honestly how where when I got my first my first grant and first flavor of philanthropy was in that job.
2: Talk about that first win, that first grant. What was that like for you?
0: I got a grant from the Helen Bader Foundation. And it was um, to organize um, all the workforce development um, entities in the county, um, and and think about how do we start thinking about professionalizing people who work in workforce development, and and this was at really again those beginning stages of us really thinking about this b- workforce development beyond. Education, Right. There's so many aspects to it. You're both nodding because I know, you know, <laughs> you live it every day. So proud of where we are today. And the program officer there, Catherine Dunn, she's now Greater Milwaukee Foundation. But, you know, she didn't just give me that grant. She became this amazing sounding board. She like she trusted that I could see something. It was really my first experience in understanding. She sort of set the bar on how how I think about philanthropy like it's not just about the money or the grant the grant that I can provide or the scholarship I can provide but it's also about the connections that I can that I can draw when we're helping um, an organization sort of take the next best step for itself
1: so how long did you stay there for
0: Um, I was with the center for about seven years. Um, I ended up working on, um, you know, getting sort of contracted out a little bit to actually coordinate a funders collaborative. And that's where um, I got invited to a luncheon um, where I met Kelly Kelly Ryan, who was the CEO at Encouraged Community Foundation. She was working at putting together a funders collaborative similar to what we were working on in Milwaukee. And, of course, I heard Southwood County. I'm like, well, I know where Wood County is, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and so that was my first kind of introduction to s- – really thinking back to like, oh, this work is also happening and needed in our rural communities and a community that's really important to me.
2: So you're de- you're in Milwaukee. What makes you come back to central Wisconsin?
0: That's such a great question, Michael Witty. because I will tell you, it's because of my very favorite person, Michael Zell, that we're actually here today. So Mike Zell is my husband. And um, he still reminds me that I, you know, after I met Kelly and offered to help her like find someone who could maybe lead her work up here. And Mike kept saying, are you sure you don't want that job? I was like, well, honey, we've got two kids, right? We're living in the neighborhood of our dreams, you know, the Washington Heights neighborhood of Milwaukee. We have this great community. You know, our kids, our our oldest was just starting at the Montessori school that I had always wanted my kids to go to, right? All of it. And he's like, "But, but this... You know, but you could do this. Like you understand this work, you understand that community, you understand the the dynamics, and and it was really Mike. And every every big jump I've ever taken, it's um, it's Mike Zell who has been my greatest cheerleader. And and so we did. We moved to we moved back to central Wisconsin and to, to Wisconsin Rapids. You know, I brought together a number of manufacturers who were funders around a funders collaborative model, um, and we ran that fund. Um, um, where they determined the the grants that we made out of the, the pooled resources that just, they contributed. Yeah, d-
1: will you just define for us the funder's collaborator model?
0: Yeah, sure. So um, the idea of a funder's collaborative is when you have um, you have whether it's businesses or foundations themselves or individuals. I mean, I had um, donor advice fund holders that encouraged that contributed to the fund. Um, they, they pool their resources. Mm-hmm. Um, for this specific funders collaborative, we were part of something called the National Fund for Workforce Solutions. They contributed for every $4 that we contributed, they contributed a dollar. So mm-hmm. we had to raise a certain amount to pool together with the national fund. Um, and the idea of that funders collaborative was to test new ideas around workforce development. What would it take to really bring together what employers needed the future of work workers to look like with, um, creating workers that have agency to actually accomplish those things for those employers.
1: Can you give us an example of something that you you did that was innovative?
0: Can I give you an example of, uh, the way it's like philanthropy can really Mm -hmm. spark something? Um, so at the time in Wisconsin Rapids, we were, you know, it was definitely a community that was struggling with with employment. A lot of paper mills had closed. There was, you know, documented skills gap. The Workforce Board had documented. Um, and there was a lot, quite a bit of federal money coming in to support workers at that time to reskill. Um, and we had a group of um, community-based organizations that would meet. And we were trying to identify, like you know, again, we're, we I've got a I've got a group of funders who are majority um, plant managers and, and business owners who needed something slightly different than what the the folks coming out of the paper industry were were able to provide for their business. So we were trying to match those things up, and um, and we had developed this. Um, this training program with, with Mid-State, with our friends at Mid-State, that would be like um, basically around processing mm-hmm. and thinking like, okay, there's paper processing, but there's also food processing mm-hmm. and there's mm-hmm. all kinds of processing, Urco's processing, they're all processing something. And my good friend, John Bergen, who um, came out of the paper industry and who I've gotten to know over the years, he actually came on to do some facilitation of the business side of this work for us. And um, and so between John, myself, and some folks at midstate early on, we started to put this put this this training together. But we recognized that there was gaps that, you know, either federal funding wouldn't fund or um, or that or we knew as a community needed to be part of our program to make it a go. And so um, so that's where we take the ideas back to the funders collaborative. And they would then make that decision about where the, where to direct mm-hmm. some of that. So um, it's just a little bit of like how, you know, we're also just doing a lot of leveraging and, and not only leveraging it, but, you know, all those business owners got to learn sort of a little bit of the sausage making, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which, you know, they don't tend to always get to get to learn. Um, so that was one bit, a great success. I would say another one, because that led to lots of other things, right? Like I see it today. It led to everything you, um, you guys are working on. I, it's leading to this wonderful building you're building. Like I can see those early threads. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's just something I'm really just proud of. Um, also hired Rick Murden a little later on. And Rick, who's now on the Mid-State Board, mm-hmm. you know, he did a tremendous job of, of bringing Bringing together the school districts with the technical colleges and thinking about the youth side, you know, all those solar panels projects and all those small schools. I mean, that was us. That was Rick. Yeah, um, this was partnering what, with you know Midstate.
1: The, yeah, this was one of the first times that we worked together. We used the you know local community foundation to help us mm-hmm. leverage a, a grant, and so they they partnered with us and we. I think in total, installed 12 different solar panel projects at local high school, middle school, and elementary schools. And what would happen is the mid state students would design the project, our funding source paid for all of the equipment, and then we brought it out there. And, and the students from the high schools and middle schools had the opportunity to, to physically in, install the systems and then leave something permanently behind. And, I think is a great example of of how that community foundation uh, helps giving happen and, and helps hold all these pieces together.
0: Thanks, Ben. I mean, that's exactly what that was. What that was our project. That mm-hmm. was Workforce Central. Um, that work that we did. Um, and it is. It's something we are all really, really proud of, and can see the threads and right. And so. You just described something about young people because we were always thinking about what's yeah. the next generation of um, of employees in this community and how can philanthropy help with that. We were also thinking about incumbent workers mm-hmm. working with some businesses on their incumbent needs to skill them up to make sure that those businesses can remain competitive. Um, you know, doing some really fun things with Point Precision over the years and, and Mariani, Urco you know, ocean spray cranberries. Yeah, and, and just really also at the heart of it too, some pretty amazing relationships mm-hmm. that, you know, I still call on today when I need advice from, from those, those leaders that I met.
1: Hello, listener. We'll get back to our interview with Jenny in a moment. I just wanted to take a second to share one of my own recent experiences that highlights the power of philanthropic giving in our community. Regular listeners of the podcast are aware of our efforts to fundraise for our Advanced Manufacturing, Engineering Technology and Apprenticeship Center. This project has tremendously benefited from the generosity of our community. We've had over 100 different organizations step up and contribute to this center. But like Jenny has shared, it's more than just the financial contributions, it's the partnerships that have been created and will continue to persist even after the building is constructed. I also wanted to take a moment to congratulate the Community Foundation on their recent recognition. They've been selected as the recipient of the Portage County Charitable Community Award by the Portage County Business Council. It is well-deserved as acknowledgement for their 40 years of such influential community impact and tremendous service. They will receive their award at the annual Creative Excellence Breakfast on April 1st. In addition, Section 715, Throwing Company, will receive the Entrepreneur of the Year Award. Hannah Klein from the Stevens Point Area Convention and Visitors Bureau will be recognized as the Young Professional of the Year. And Daniel Hoppe from the Stevens Point Area Public School District will receive the Golden Apple Excellence in Education Award. Find out more about the event and the recipients on the Portage County Business Council website. Now we can get back to the story of the Community Foundation with Jenny Rickenbach. So at some point you end up back in Milwaukee. I do. Yeah. T- tell us about your efforts working at the Milwaukee Area Workforce Investment Board.
0: Don Sykes is that that mentor boss that I mentioned um, earlier. and And so Don had a position open up and was curious if I would move back to Milwaukee. And at that point, you know, I, you know, just like anyway I missed I missed my friends and like as much as my parents were here I didn't feel like we saw them enough and like really was just kind of eager to just be back in M- Milwaukee I thought we thought we were missing something mm-hmm. and the opportunity worked f- to work for Don so we did move back and I spent a year as the director of planning and development um, at the Workforce board and you know it was great I enjoyed lots of. Lots of great experiences there. But honestly, what ended up happening is because we had three boys at that time, and Mike and I realized we really weren't missing anything. (laughs) Like, we chase kids around, and we go to school functions. Yeah. And what were we thinking to move that far away from my parents with three small children? (laughs) So we ended up coming back after yeah. a year and yeah. um yeah and I went back and I you know continued the work at Encourage for another number of years before um before then going into some consulting on my own yeah
1: So one of the things that I think might you know surprise people when you think about philanthropy oftentimes you think it's just a a matter of giving not the 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 leveraging of other assets or the way that it is actually tied into employment and tied into into jobs. Do you think that this is just your history that's making those connections, the fact that you worked in workforce and then worked in giving, or do you think that there's a natural marriage between these two things?
0: I think there's a definitely a natural connection. Because at the heart of it, it's the connection between money and people, mm-hmm. right? And without work... We don't have money. We also don't have re- a lot of relationships stem from, um, from work. And, you know, there's two definitions of philanthropy. So there's the, the generous donation of money to good causes, which I think is what people easily look to, right? So a definition yeah, like that. Yeah. But there's also this definition, love of humanity, hmm. which is like my favorite definition of <laughs> philanthropy. But it's really, when I really think about it, it's the marriage of the two, that make it what it is. Mm. And the combination of those two aspects of philanthropy are grounded in the story of the organization and cause with the donor. It's also grounded in trust and integrity, Mm. right? It's the trust that the people who make up the organization or cause are aiming for their next best step and that a donor has something to offer. And so that something to offer is often first thought of of as money, but it is, it's the connections that come with that. It's the relationship that comes out of that. I have never experienced a grant making opportunity or receiving opportunity where it has just been about the financial part. And that to me is like what is so amazing about philanthropy. It's why I love it so much, especially community philanthropy.
2: You're uh Completely right. A a lot of people don't understand philanthropy. They hear the name, they hear it, but you've just given a, a great explanation of it. So tell me a little bit about what's it like when you do make that connection for the benefit of an organization?
0: most people know us for our grants and scholarships, right? A lot of what we just talked about was grant making. So the Community Foundation of Central Wisconsin, we offer two um, community grant cycles a year. We also offer now a major projects grant cycle. So we We awarded our first major project grant last year. It was to Lake Pacawa. We're so excited for that project. And we're also known for our scholarships. We have over 1,000 scholarship funds um, at the foundation. We're we're very proud of those. And a lot of families connect with us on, on scholarships. So grants and scholarships is something we're definitely known for. We also offer nonprofit and community causes tools to build their endowments. So, you know, an endowment can be a tricky, you think philanthropy is a tricky thing to explain. I think endowments <laughs> go right along with that, right? It's, but I like to describe an endowment, it's that power of putting to, putting money to work for the causes we love, right? So an organizational endowment, it pools those donations together. Um, again, from folks that are contributing a a few dollars to all the way up to tens of thousands of dollars. Um, It puts those donations to work by investing them wisely. And we have an amazing finance committee that oversees how our investments are made and tracks that. And then the organization or cause receives a portion of those earnings each year that they can count on um, as part of the revenue for their organization. Um, And it becomes important to their annual budget um, and something, again, that they can count on each year. And so one example that I always point to, one of my favorites, one of all of our favorites is the Green Circle Trail. So Mm -hmm. one of our oldest endowments at the foundation, one of the very first. And when I tell those stories of, you know, small donations coming in to large donations coming in, that's a perfect story. And look at all the people that get to access that, right? And it's this amazing group of volunteers. It's a cause in our community community that so many people get behind. Um, We have endowments for other organizations like um, Meals on Wheels. We both do things that are established nonprofits um, with a cause and also community-driven ideas that become become something more like the Green Circle Trail.
1: My guess is most people are familiar with endowments, but just correct me in, in this simplified definition. We have a donor and instead of just they the, the giving away a million dollars, they put it in an investment account, and that gains returns.
0: Exactly. So you're, that's the principle, right? Yeah. So we're always investing that principle in your get you, the the grant you receive comes off of the off of the earnings. To that example, though, we also offer other services where we're working with um, businesses, individuals, and families um, to direct their giving through donor advised funds. So we also have. Um, donor advice funds who the, one of the benefits of working with the community foundation would be we're we're seeing so many wonderful projects and activities we can help you match those up with your your own interests right we can also make those grants out at your discretion for any organization that you'd like as well so there's some flexibility in how you know we can we can support um, support giving in that regard. I would say my favorite, one of my favorites parts of my job, though, is um, working with individuals and and couples to become part of our Heinz Living Legacy Circle, working with people on what their legacy plans are and what they want to leave behind. We don't often get the opportunity to talk about those Uh things in our culture, right? And so, you know, it is it is one of my favorite things to to work with families and individuals on, on what the legacy that they, they're looking to leave, and we have some pretty beautiful stories of how those legacies are really making big impacts in our community.
1: More from Jenny in a moment. Just a quick break to share some brief announcements. The spring term at MidState is well underway, but registration is now open for our summer offerings. And summer's the perfect time to test the waters at Midstate. Reach your goals faster with our quick, transferable classes and no long-term commitment. Or get started on a career program or career accelerator certificate. Have big summer plans on the calendar? You won't have to give them up thanks to flexible scheduling and innovative technology delivery methods. Classes begin as early as June. Explore the options today at mstc.edu summer. If you enjoy listening to podcasts, and have ever considered recording one of your own, but aren't sure where to start, MidState has teamed up with Create Portage County to offer some continuing education courses on podcasting. Our next course in this series, titled Podcast Development and Promotion, will be on Wednesday, April 20th at 5.30 on the Stevens Point campus. I will be co-teaching this course with fellow podcaster Chris Clay-Smith and we'll be sharing everything you need to know to get started writing and developing your own podcast. You'll learn the structure of this podcast, like how I get guests and write questions and form a narrative, but also the hidden details, like how I get it posted to all of the podcast platforms and our website. You can find the details about this course on the MidState website, but I'll also post a link in the show notes. Now, let's get back to the story of the Community Foundation of Central Wisconsin with Jenny. So I like your mission at Community Foundation to inspire charitable giving by connecting people and resources to enhance Central Wisconsin now and for future generations. Tell us uh, how you inspire.
0: I think we've inspired the community quietly for the last 40 years in, you know, helping groups get started, um, in helping to make those connections between donors and, and good causes, I think what you're seeing now from the foundation, uh, as a result of generous gifts, is is our ability to do more grant making, to do some of those major projects, and allow people who also you know want cont- to who have small amounts to contribute to be part of those because they could they can they can make gifts to us and we pull those together right to inspire um, how we all give together to make our community a better place.
1: So you mentioned uh, 40 years. We're really telling two stories here. You know, one is kind of of your own personal history about how you get to the Community Foundation, but also 40 years. It's the 40-year anniversary. What do you know about when it was founded in 1982? Like, how much do you know about that?
0: I'm learning every day. So... um, John jury um, he has come and he sits sits in my office he's one of the first one of the first executive directors and and just has just great stories to tell about the early days of the foundation and how it's grown to where it is today. I think there were some turning points for the foundation over the last decade that really helped kind of expedite where we are um, as an organization today. One is um, the story of Art Hines. again one of those, Living legacies is who we named our Living Legacy Circle after. There's a beautiful story on our website right now celebrating Art Hines and his life. Um, he was a quiet person who really he left his whole estate to the foundation, and that was a that was a gift that changed things for us. It allowed us to start having grant making every every year. So it's it's very much a it's been a community effort um, where lots of, lots of things have started, kind of furthered by, by these transformative gifts like Art Hines. In our 40th year, we're celebrating. We're putting out a story a week. So you can, you can visit our website and see some of those stories. You know, some of the stories, I'll give you some teasers because there's some good ones. You're definitely <laughs> going to see a story about John Jury on there. I'm sure of it. Bill Sherrill. And um, there was this amazing community show that for years they put on and all the proceeds from the show went to the foundation again in the early days and getting it started. Bill came and brought us this really cool old poster of one of the early community shows. And there's some fun stories we're learning about what, some of the some of the th- great things and relationships that came out of those as well. Geraldine Hartford is another one. So Geraldine, um, left; she w- lived in Washera County and left her um, estate to the community foundation. And that is what really launched us into grant making and growing philanthropy in not just Portage County, but Washera County. There are so
1: many stories. One of the things I noticed just on your website initially started as the Stevens Point Area Foundation, mm-hmm. changed its name to the Community Foundation of Portage County, changed its name to the Community Foundation of, of Central Wisconsin. What can you tell me about the the, the growth uh, of the organization? So this
0: would be a great question for John Jury. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see if I can channel John Jury. Um, so my understanding is, you know, we, we when you look at our website, you can see our growth was in small increments mm-hmm. at the early years. And, um, and so the original idea was, you know, Stevens Point and then thinking Portage County. And then Dave Williams, who's still on our board today, he, um, he lives in Wild Rose. Uh, my understanding is Dave came to John and said, hey, we would really like to be part of this. But it can't be just the Portage County Foundation, um, and, it, and it was not long after that that um, Geraldine's gift also came to fruition to be able to really um, to really start start some grant making and philanthropy in Washera County. So it was really that bringing Washera County into the mix was the was the change in name to Central Wisconsin.
1: So I, I want to talk about another project that we're working on right now because I think for me this is emblematic of how you inspire or how, in my words, you know, would be how you empower uh, giving in one way or another. You said earlier how we have agency to make our communities better. And I think that that's a great quote. One of the things that we're working on is just setting up a fund to help refugee families resettle directly in Portage County. You and I both happen to be on a co-sponsorship team To kind of facilitate and to assist a family coming into this community. And one of our early tasks was just to raise some funds. And we're like, we need to have a mechanism for people to be able to give, where it's going to be tracked, where it's going to be transparent. And so we worked with the community foundation to to set up a a refugee resettlement fund. What other kind of resources do you have like that? or, Or what do you call that type of fund?
0: Sure. So that it would be another type of fund that we have. So that's a special project or pass through fund, um, and that is it's a great example, right? It's um, and I'm so glad that we're able to do that because it's really expediting um, families being welcomed to Portage County. You know, I'm just impressed every day. I was on a call this morning, and how many people just want to make sure our community is welcoming to um, refugees coming from all over the world is pretty pretty amazing and it just shows how special our community is. So being able to to support um, efforts like that is great. Other examples of pass-through funds that we have and, you know, f- folks can go on our website and contribute, contribute to them, the Plover River Crossing. Mm. Um, Is one um, that is on that the people can contribute to. So big project,
1: part of the Green Circle Trail.
0: Part of the yes, it's a segment of the Green Circle Mm -hmm. Trail, um, but it's it's a special project that you can give to and be part of. Um, There's the um, so if you
1: happen to be walking on the Green Circle Trail and you're like, how come I can't get to East Ten? If you have that thought, pull out your phone (laughs) and give.
0: Yeah, there you go. And again, it's a great example of, you know, community members recognizing that there should be a better access mm. and they they get their they get things together and they can and they come to the community foundation and and they use that pass-through fund, that special projects fund. And they at the same time, they use us as their 501c3. Mm-hmm. A couple others that we're really, really proud of were two nonprofits that, both in Washera County, that we graduated this year. So one is the food pantry. Uh-huh. So for a few years, while they were getting, their, getting themselves established and getting their 501c3 status, they used a special project fund with us. Um, where they were able to accept those donations and, and keep the work going and start the work in Washera County or on the food pantry. Another one is the Washera County Animal Shelter. Um, similar similar idea where, you know, they wanted to get started right away, and they used a special project pass-through fund with us to just expedite being able for folks to, to give and then... Um, and then keep their work going. Both of those have now graduated into their own organizations, which is pretty pretty exciting. So we can use that. We can use that um, that type of fund in lots of different ways.
1: So we have to make these two stories intersect. We talked really about the the history of the community foundation and a little bit of your history. When did you take over as the CEO?
0: I started as CEO on June 1st of 2021, so it hasn't even been a year yet. <laughs> Um, So, yeah, that's when I started. And my predecessor, Aaron Andrews, was there for about five years. And Aaron, wow. And the board of directors, just an amazing group of people. Um, I think another piece of a really important part of the story of the Community Foundation is the strategic planning they went through in 2017 when Aaron had first started, really figuring out if this is going to be a true community foundation with a with a strong future. We needed a strong business model that was that that would afford staff to be able to do this work. So when they hired me, I was actually the very first full time staff. Mm. Um, and um, you know, and I have Aaron and the board to thank for that and all the work they did. I mean, you know, I did strategic planning for a few years, and I I am a big big proponent of strategic planning, to have a plan and work the plan. And this is, they've been doing it. Um, And I was then able to sort of step in into a plan that was already in action. Um, And it's just been, it's been great.
1: I noticed on our schedule that coming up soon, the Women's Fund Advisory Board is going to be meeting here on MidState. Maybe you can, uh, through that example, tell us about one, what is that fund? And then how do you determine how these funds get dispersed? Sure. So the women's fund
0: has an incredible history. Now that's another fun one. You should you should have some of the founders of that on your podcast sometime, because I am I'm just blown away by the stories of, you know, it's been over 20 years. And so it was a group of women with the Community Foundation, the YMCA Foundation, and the St. Michael's Foundation um, to grow a fund that would specifically support women and children in our community. They worked through a lot of probably second guessing in the community of whether or not they could pull it off. Well, in 2020, they reached a million dollar endowment. Hmm. And, um, and with a ton of hard work and collaboration, um, and so when we talk about strategic planning, they are now in the process of picking a strategic planning uh, facilitator who will help them now figure out what's what, – take it to the next level. So that um, – Women's Fund, the Women's Fund, which is a field of interest fund with the foundation, they um, they have an advisory board that um, fits under the foundation board. So they make all of their own grant-making decisions. Um, they continue to build that endowment together. Oftentimes, um, they'll have an event or two a year that kind of supplements some of their grant-making. Um, so they make those decisions as a group. Mm. The Women's Fund is a great example of how – Um, Community members are both helping to grow an endowment and then making the decisions about around grant making. Um, It works very similarly for our mission funds. Mm -hmm. So we have we have six mission funds: the Arts and Culture Mission Fund, the Education Mission Fund, the Environment Mission Fund, the Helping People Mission Fund, the Wellness Mission Fund, and the Hartford Fund, which supports Washera County efforts. Mm -hmm. Each of those funds gets is part of our Um, Community grant making cycles. So we have those, we have two a year. And again, those are community members who make those decisions. Marley Samuels, another amazing person at the foundation. If you ever need advice on, um, on a grant or an idea, or you just want to talk something through, she is definitely the right person to call. Marley facilitates as part of her job community grants committees who make the decisions. So tonight we're actually meeting to decide the um, Washera County Hart- from the Hartford Fund. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite parts of the Community Foundation, and I always say to our my team, is, you know, we don't make decisions as a staff. We facilitate our community mm-hmm. to make good decisions, right? They come with their passion. They come with their connection to our committees, and we really help them have enough information to then make good decisions and then help draw those connections back, um, back into the community for, in the grants that we
1: make. So what's next for the Community Foundation of Central Wisconsin?
0: So what's next for the community foundation? It's celebrating 40 years. So we are so excited about this. Um, Every week we're rolling out another story. We're going to be coming all together in November like we do every year. And this year it's going to be an extra special community celebration for the foundation. We are also eager to help more organizations build their endowments. You know, as we are in the biggest transfer of wealth period our nation has likely to ever see, we want to be a support to help all of our organizations establish and grow and, and grow their endowments so that their missions can continue into the future. We're really looking to support more families and, or, and individuals to learn more about donor-advised funds and our living legacy options gifts of legacy really make a huge difference and um, it's it sometimes can be hard to think about but it can also be really beautiful to think about what your legacy could be and growing our mission funds you know really having more opportunities for community members to make grant making decisions requires more of us to contribute to those so those are some of the things where we're hoping to keep growing in um, both Portage and Washera County
1: Thank you for listening to Profile Central Wisconsin. Special thanks to Jenny Riggenbach from the Community Foundation of Central Wisconsin and to Michael Witte for joining me in this conversation. Profile is a production of Mid-State Technical College out of the Stevens Point campus. You just heard about Jenny's unique college experience where she earned a degree in community education and engagement. We don't have that exact degree, But if you're interested in making our little part of Wisconsin a better place by providing some direct mentorship for individuals struggling with transitions, we do have a program that could prepare you, like Jenny, to help foster care children transition into independence. The Corrections and Community Advocacy Program at MidState teaches the operations and management of adult and juvenile correctional institutions, probation and parole, community advocacy agencies, special needs populations, alcohol and other drug abuse, and mental health services. Graduates may work in jails and prisons, but also juvenile detention facilities, halfway houses and shelter care facilities, as well as working in the court system. This program has incredible faculty that will surely inspire you in lasting ways. Find out more about the program on our website, msdc.edu programs. To learn more about the Portage County Business Council and everything they're doing to connect and grow our business community, visit portagecountybiz.com. That's biz with a C. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you consume your audio media. You can also just ask your smart device to play the Profile Central Wisconsin podcast to hear the latest episode. Our podcast page, mstc.edu slash podcast, has all the latest information and all the ways to listen. It's the mission of Mid-State Technical College to transform lives through the power of teaching and learning. Help us work toward that goal by sharing this story. Thanks for listening. Tell us uh, how you inspire
0: You don't think this is inspiring? (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) You can cut that out.